Radio One Station, where information is power. The views and opinions of the guest and host you hear are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio One, its sponsors or advertisers. Welcome to On the Couch Radio, a show where conversations take place that may not come up at the dinner table, a place where you can be free to express your mental and emotional health without judgment or stigma. A place where nothing is taboo. We are your hosts, Isaiah, Danny, Cheryl, and William. Good evening, Baltimore and beyond. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On the Couch Radio. My name is William, and I'll be your host for today. Today is week two of Men's Health Month. We have two dynamic gentlemen who will help us explore men and mental health. Take off the mask. But first, I would like to acknowledge and thank Ms. Christy Hugstad for joining us last week to to kick off Men's Health Month. Ms. Hugstad provided a riveting and heartfelt interview in which she described with excruciating detail her struggle to get mental health support for her husband, the decline in his level of functioning and his struggle with medications that ultimately ended with his suicide. The full show is on our Facebook page, which is on the couch radio. If you would like to drop us a question or comment, you may do so at on the couch radio. That's all one word on the couch radio at gmail.com. Very shortly, we'll be opening the phone lines up. If you'd like to join the conversation, You may do so at any time at 410-481-1010. Again, that's 410-481-1010. Now on to today's show. I think, folks, we all can agree there's a disconnect between men and mental health. And it's safe to say that most men kind of play it off or wear a mask or whatever the case might be. The reasons, however, are not as clear cut. Is it how we're socialized? Maybe it's our pride. Is it because mental health has long been viewed as a woman's issue issue left to women to figure out it's it's kind of a mushy type of thing? Or is it what one of our guests calls it? Is it due to toxic masculinity? We'd love to hear from you. I'll tell you what, folks, we have two dynamic men with us today who are going to help shed some light on this issue of mental health and men take off the mask. Both men have found a way to navigate the terrain of mental health personally and professionally and become advocates and change agents within the mental health community. First folks, we have Mr. Philip Roundtree. Philip currently practices in the area of behavioral health and child welfare. He is a public speaker who holds a bachelor's of science from Bloomberg's university and a master's from Rutgers university and a Master's of Science in Exercise Science from California University of Pennsylvania. Philip is a mental wellness advocate and is committed to giving a faith, voice, and hope to those who have yet to recognize their emotional and cognitive strength. He is also founder of QuantifyLLC.net. Welcome, Philip. How are you today? Oh, that sounds good, man. That sounds good. I'm always... Okay, that's me. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I definitely appreciate you for having me here today. It, it means a lot for sure. Absolutely. 
we also have with us Mr. Rashawn Miller. He is a mental health advocate, therapist, author, and social entrepreneur. As a licensed professional counselor, Rashawn services individuals spanning all ages with a goal of helping each person understand and take accountability for their own mental wellness. Rashawn creates safe spaces for open and honest dialogue about mental illness. He uses personal experiences, experience living with bipolar disorder, disorder and multiple suicide attempts to educate others and break the stigma associated with mental health challenges through his nonprofit, Eustress Inc. Mr. Miller holds a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling from Montreal College and a bachelor's of arts degree in sociology from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Rashawn, how are you? Thank you for joining us. All right, gentlemen, we're just gonna we're just gonna dig right in. Philip, let's start with you. Can you share with us your story as it relates to mental health? Oh, uh, my story. Uh, it's, a, it's quite a lengthy story. I think we're gonna need about four or five hours. For it, <laughs> I, I'm gonna try and condense it. Okay. Um. So uh, I'm diagnosed with with having depression and anxiety. Um. This is a, a fairly recent diagnosis. I'd say within the last within the last five or six years or so. Um, just my, as far as my journey of mental health, I could, you know, I was always, I was the loner kid, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I had friends or what have you, but I, I preferred to stay to myself. My brother was, you know, God bless the dead, was about eight years older than me. And so, you know, I was just left up to my own devices. And so, you know, I became real introverted. And so it's just been many experiences over my life that that's occurred that's definitely impacted my mental health. Um, you know, it runs in my family. I, I was told my grandmother, uh, when my when my mother was a baby, she tried to throw her out the window, right? So, you know, there's definitely, gen, you know, some gen, genetic predisposition there. But, you know, I, just, I saw a lot of things. I saw, experienced a lot of trauma, which, you know, negatively, negatively affected my mental health. So we're talking about seeing my mom have a nervous breakdown when I was in the eighth grade. Uh, my brother passing away in 12th grade uh, from an overdose from opiates. Uh, you know, and then I just had a lot of anger and rage that that was built up inside of me, and that was a result of, you know, not being able to to process, you know, these things that I've experienced, which happened to to a lot of black men, and so that just continued. Uh, I had the traditional symptoms of depression, which was, you know, staying in the house, not going anywhere for four or five days at a time. This was during college. This was post college. Um, it finally came to a head where it. I just didn't feel good anymore. I had been suicidal for, for 10 to 15 years, every day, four to five times a day, which was a part of my, my depression and anxiety diagnosis. It was a result of it. And so, you know, I remember seeking therapy when, probably when I was about 23 years of age, I went to a therapist and it just wasn't for me. And like many people, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so I threw the baby out with the bathwater. I wouldn't go back again for another, another seven to eight years. And at that time, that's when I, I really was committed to the process of trying to, to, to thrive instead of just live. And so that included me, you know, going to therapy. That included me taking medication. And I still take. I've been on it for now for, for about three years. And, you know, as soon as I started taking the medication, within a, a few months of it getting into my system, you know, the, the suicidal ideation has disappeared. Mm-hmm. And so it's not to say I don't experience depression, I don't experience anxiety on a day-to-day basis, 
but I, I know well about how to manage it. And so, you know, just to sum it up, that's pretty much my experience. Okay, and we definitely want to go back and unpack the whole therapy process and all of that. First, let's hear from Rashawn. Rashawn, can you share your story as it relates to mental health? Um, yeah, sure. Um, my story with mental health started uh, back in 2006. Um, actually, I was a um, sophomore in college and um, had a trouble adjusting, adjusting to college. Um, coming out of high school, I was graduating at the top of my class and I played three sport athlete. Ended up walking on to the football team and the track team at the University of North Carolina. And um, high school was a predominantly black high school. And coming from a predominantly black high school to a college that was predominantly white with 30,000 students, um, it it was a tough adjustment. But then also, once I got to college, I realized that uh, I never, I didn't learn anything in high school. It was, I didn't learn how to study. I didn't, I didn't learn how to really navigate uh, working, having to work for my grades because everything came easily to me in grades. Grade. Um, went through a period where uh, I didn't, I started withdrawing from friends, uh, wasn't sleeping. I went through a period where I didn't sleep for two weeks. Um, lost 25 pounds over a matter of about six weeks. And um, me being the only child, my, my mother picked up on something just from my voice from talking over the phone. So she sent my cousin in to check in on me. And when my cousin walked in, she, she just started crying and called my mother. So when she called my mother, uh, my mother was like, get him out of their room. And she took me to her house, and then a couple of hours later, the uh, uh, rest of my family showed up. And they kept asking me, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? I was telling them nothing. I told them I was good. And uh, they ended up taking me to the hospital. And when they took me to the hospital, they, they, had, to drag, they had to drag me to the hospital because I wasn't going willingly. Um, got to the hospital, ended up actually um, getting physical with, with the 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 personnel there and um, they locked me up in a straight jacket and put me in a padded room. Um, long story short, I ended up receiving a diagnosis of bipolar one disorder with psychotic features because I was hearing voices at the time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up, uh, once I got out of the hospital, withdrew from school um, and moved to Charlotte and actually started, started therapy, got better, started therapy and, med- and medication, got better. Uh, once I got better, I felt like I was cured. When I felt like I was cured, I stopped. And then also I wanted to go back to school. Ended up going back to school and my symptoms came back. And instead of me going back to therapy and actually getting back on medications, the thing that actually helped me, I started to self-medicate with alcohol. Uh, I was drinking a fifth of tequila every other day. And I did that for three and a half, maybe four years. Um, during that period, I uh, went through some low lows through my de- depressive state uh, of, of bipolar disorder and uh, attempted suicide. The first two times I uh, attempted to overdose on pills. Um, and then the last time I put a gun in my head and pulled the trigger. And the gun jammed on me. So that was the point where I was like, man, Sean, you got to get this stuff together. You, you have to really uh, take this thing seriously. Uh, so I ended up going back to therapy and getting back on med. And uh, once I got back on, this time I got better, and I, I decided that I wouldn't um, 
fall into that trap of thinking that everything is, is all is all better and that this won't be something that I will have to live with for the rest of my life. Um, then from there, I mean, uh, started to really notice changes, noticing things in other people. And I noticed that there wasn't a lot of black males in the field. So that's what prompted me to go uh, become a therapist and uh, start my organization and just do a lot of work in the field. Okay. Thank you for sharing that with such detail. What, why is it, gentlemen, why do men wear masks as it relates to, to, to mental health? I noticed in both of you all story, although you're actively participating in therapy now and medication management now, even when you initially went, you, you kind of sort of fell off and you said, oh, I'm good. Why, why, do you, why do you think that is? What, what, was, what was the case? What was the reason in your, your, you all's instances? Um, I, I guess I can answer that uh, from my perspective. Uh, for me, it was it was a lack of information, right? So so here I am, and my mom's a drug and alcohol uh, counselor. Uh, and she was that for for about twenty some odd years, uh, but you know I just didn't know. I didn't know about therapy. I would I wouldn't find out about therapy until again into my twenties, and and I only found out about that was because I, I was in college and it was it was a young lady who I've been pursuing for about three or four years. And my psychology professor, uh, Dr. Tambon Kamara, God bless the dead, being at a, uh, a predominantly white campus is difficult. Like Rick Sean said, it's a, it's a culture shock. And, and so I was there and he always wanted to check in on us, you know, check in on us, uh, on us young brothers especially. And, you know, like any old head that want to check in, you push him off. Like, nah, I well, I'm not going to go talk to him. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to go talk to him. And so uh, I went and had a conversation with him. I'm like, why doesn't she want me? I, you know, I've been buying the things. Well, my mother buy things. I ain't have a job. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, what's going on? And he was like, well, Phil, in life you change to get something or to keep something. And I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? We, I'm talking about her. But that resonated with me, and I, and I tell that story often because that was the beginning of me recognizing that with my mental health that I needed to change. I had real, I had anger issues. I had a lot of anger issues. It, it caused me to get kicked out of, out of Bloomsburg University for a little bit. And it caused me to go to jail because of, you know, I handle things with anger. And so I think it's just in today's society. Um, and I, and I, I do see a shift that's happening uh, with people like myself, uh, Rashawn and you, William, um, that, you know, we, we, we're starting to take the mask off, but, but it's still there. The pressures of, of masculinity, of having to be the tough guy, because uh, that's what we've had to be, especially as black men, historically. Going back to the, plan, you know, to the plantation, we couldn't, we couldn't show fear. We couldn't show weakness because we had to, to be that example, no matter how much we wanted to break down. And so we're going through all this historical trauma. We're talking about Jim Crow, civil rights, and things like that. We had to be strong. We didn't have time to, to examine our feelings. And, and what was going on. And even past that, we look at hip-hop. You know, I have a book coming out soon uh, that talks about the impact of, of hip-hop and, and the trauma that's related to it. Hip-hop has caused, you know, I'm not going to go off, you know, go off on the... You no, know, we'd love to hear. We'd love to hear. Yeah, but, but hip-hop has done a lot to, 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 to shape how men are, right? It, look, we take it for granted. It shapes how we dress. It shapes how we talk. You know, 
of course it's going to shape how we how we view one another as men and how we view ourselves and that we uh, we have to be this braggadocious um uh person and strong so we can get the ladies and and what have you and so major it's, you know, key so alert that is, is so many factors that have gone into you know why is men but I, but I think for me again it was just a lack of knowledge and being scared you know being afraid because I didn't know what it was I knew just something didn't feel right I didn't have the words to put to it I didn't know depression and anxiety but I just knew I, I didn't feel right so okay Rashad, kind of a follow-up to that, and if you have something to add to that, you certainly can, but what are your thoughts related to the the term man up and suck it up? I hate it. (laughs) Um, it, It's it's something that um, it cripples us as men to actually grow and really become introspective to learn who we are. Because we are always taught, like you said, man up or suck it up. Like we, we can't, only thing we can experience emotionally on a social level is anger or happiness. Mm. And that's the only, and especially as a black man. So you have to be this strong person all of the time. Like feel like feel hinted at, man. I mean, it's something that cripples us and when it gets to a point and we and we're ta- we teach our young men this early on and, and it's not just men teaching this to young men but also women in our community and our society teach this as well and um, even when i speak with with women older women now i tell them that they're they're teaching these these young boys to suck it up and just you know man up but then you get mad at a grown man that doesn't know how to communicate mm-hmm so a, a lot I mean, of go go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And I was going to say a lot of what I hear you saying it's it's about how we're socialized, because the reality yeah, so. of it of the matter is, I don't think one women want to cry baby. They don't they don't want a guy that's going to be crying all over them, but yet they want a man that's going to express their feelings. That's why it is it is absolutely critical critical to create safe spaces for men to communicate because it's a good chance we're not going to communicate in a certain way to our lady, but guess what? Therapy affords us that opportunity. Therapy does afford us that opportunity. What what are your, what are your thoughts, Philip? As far as, as far as what exactly? As far as the man up and suck it up phrase. Oh man. (laughs) Listen, um, you know, I've always been the, you know, the, the, the eyeball, uh, because I don't use, you know, I, I hate terms like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one that's real mindful of the language that's used because, again, I understand the impact on somebody's wellness. Now, I can say that, well, my mother never used that with me, but my older brother did. Um, because, again, that's how we're socialized. Like, yo, and I was a, I was a crier. I'm an emotional person. I mean, I'm a Scorpio. People don't know me being a Scorpio. But... You know, I'm just an emotional person. I have no problem um, expressing myself. And so, you know, I did hear that from my from my older brother. Yo, you got to toughen up, man. You know, it's a tough world out here. And and I think it's done in the, in the, in, it's, it's, they mean well, right? I think people mean well when they say suck it up because it's, it's, yeah, we don't want you crying, but listen, the world is tough out there, right? 
And so I'm preparing you for what the world's going to, going to, you know, uh, put at you. Right. So I want you to be well prepared for, you know, I equated to, you have the, I played football for two days, you know, once in 10th grade and once in 12th grade. But I remember the coach, he, you know, he was one of those coaches where he, he'll scream at you. The best part of you was left on the bed. You know what I mean? I'm like, whoa, when I heard that, you know, but then it was just like, he just continued to yell. That didn't work for me. Right. right? That's not how I was. I, you could reach me. And so I, again, I think he meant well because he wanted them to go out there with no fear, ready to take it on. He didn't want a stranger having to, to tell them that or, or them not to be prepared. So, yeah, I'm, I definitely think it's negatively impacted, um, you know, especially our, our black men and, and their ability to, to be expressive of their feelings. Okay. We have a caller on the line. Let's go to the, to the phone. Good evening, caller. You're on the air. Hi, uh, Mr. Williams. This is DJ Crazy. Okay. I want everybody on, on the couch radio. I uh, I actually did want to just talk about the topic of the whole masculinity, the heavy masculinity. I believe that is toxic toxic to our mental health because I feel like it causes a lack of free expression. And, you know, I believe it was Mr. Rashawn about having voices and everything bottled up in his head and, like, him hearing voices. And I just think, like, when we do, like, every time we hear, like, you know, you're not supposed to express yourself this way or you – you can't do this. That's not how men supposed to, you know, express their feelings, you know, suck it up and, you know, keep that poker face. Like, we become our own poison. And I feel like, you know, if we just break those standards, you know, it can, it can, it can, you know, take over. It can do milestones for our community. Right. And I really think it's toxic that we, like, we as men, we teach our children to pretty much bottle our emotions. You know, we're supposed to be hard up and, you know, like you said, the whole man up statement, like, what does that really mean? Right. How how has this impacted your life? How would you say this has impacted your life? Well, I mean, it's actually a funny story. I actually had a similar story to Mr. Rashawn, which is why I was so tempted to call in. Sophomore year of college. I don't know. I, I went through a, a slight state. Of okay, we may have lost the caller there. Uh, please definitely give us a call back. We'd love to hear that story, caller. Please give us a call back. And I'm not sure how much of that you heard, Philip and Michonne, because I know we had some difficulties on, on this end. Did you hear any of, of the caller's call? No, I didn't hear anything. Okay, okay. He was basically sharing the sentiment that um, it, it, it is it is rather hurtful to have to bottle things up and suck things up. And he was just kind of piggybacking on the conversation that we were having. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. um, let let's just go ahead and, and continue the conversation, and hopefully he'll he'll call right back in and 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 finish and finish the story that he was sharing. Um, why do you think it is that so many men turn to aggression? They turn to anger. We turn to drugs, alcohol, sex, and other addictive behaviors instead of seeking some type of support. Because we know, you know, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, teaches us generally what we think is how we feel and how we feel is how we behave. And it's at that behavior part that I think we get so misunderstood because, oh, he's so angry or he drinks too much or he sex too much. Why, why do you, why, why do you think that is? Um, I guess, well, I, I've had the history of the, having a drinking issue. <laughs> um, I would say one thing is, is because, uh, those ways of coping
coping are socially acceptable. Mm. Um, even when it comes down to drinking, uh, we, we, it's, it's romanticized right? or it's, it's something that, oh, we don't see it as a problem until you possibly have like a physical altercation as a result of it or anything like that. Uh, because, you know, a lot of times people get off work, they had a stressful day. First thing they do, I mean, well, some people, the first thing they do is they'll grab a glass of wine or they, they need a drink or a beer or anything like that. No one checks on to see, well, well, what about your day made it difficult? Do you want to actually talk about what that issue was and so we can process that without you having to result to a drink mm-hmm. or, you know, cigarettes or marijuana or any, like you said, or sexual, sexual promiscuity. Like that, those are things that are socially acceptable and we don't, and we don't check people on those things. So that's, that's one reason why we, we, we run to that. But then also when it comes down to um, actually getting support or, you know, seeking professional care, a lot of times, especially in the black community, we, we result to, oh, just pray about it and everything will get better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you don't you, you never really find, formulate those words to talk about what's going on in your head. I didn't know Phil alluded to this earlier. He didn't know what depression was. He didn't know what anxiety was. We're not equipped with this type of language to express ourselves to be able to seek that help. Right. And, and you know, that whole sentiment of, uh, you know, pray harder or or join this ministry or, or, you know, go to a few more services. It, it, it really is not responsible and it's, and it's not fair because it, it causes people to feel um, perplexed and, and, and actually confused that if in fact they're seeking mental health support, that it says something about their faith, whatever their faith might be. And, 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 you know, that's not fair. And I think that's something that impacts men on a whole nother level, because that's a whole nother conversation. When you talk about men and spirituality, you know, men, many of us struggle in, in, in that arena as well. And I, and I definitely want to get back to the caller, but I, I wanted to highlight much of what I'm hearing and please correct me if I'm wrong. It's about how we're socialized. You know, girls are typically socialized. Don't, don't upset your mother. Don't disappoint your father. Be a good girl stick to these rules, stick to these guidelines. Whereas boys, if we, if we, if we really be honest about it, we're socializing in a completely different way. And that is live it up, get all you can get. Don't get married too early. Don't do this. Don't do that. Um, don't worry about this. You don't have to worry about that. You know, make, go out and drink with your friends, do this, do And it's it it almost as you were alluding to, Rashawn, it, it creates dysfunction entering into adulthood. But let's go ahead back to the caller and then we'll 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 continue this conversation. Caller, you're on the air. Oh hi. I I know the call failed. Um and I think I left off uh, I believe when I got checked into the hospital, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, you can kind of recap the whole thing if you will, because our, our guest got the, cut off I think as well. The last thing- yeah, okay, I think the so, last thing that I heard was you, know, you said your sophomore year in school. Yeah, sophomore year of college, you know, everything was going good. And all of a sudden, you know, I just started feeling down. Just started feeling down, like not really having any motivation to do. You know, anything that I was normally doing, I was heavy, like really involved on campus. I had no motivation whatsoever. And I, and I realized it. So, I, you know, I contacted some of my friends and I kind of, it was like I was, I thought I was, 
you know, letting them in, like, yo, it's something off with me. I don't really know what's going on. Because this wasn't like me. So long story short, it got to the point where I did start having, you know, bad thoughts. And I started hearing voices in my head myself. And it was only because I didn't know how to... I think it was because I didn't know how to communicate with my friends exactly what was going on because it was so new. Uh, things kind of went out of hand and, uh, you know, my mom came, I had my friends around me, family support, and I got checked into a hospital where I had a similar altercation where I kind of wild out on the uh, security, you know, because, you know, I'm a black man. They, you know, they got the guns all around and I didn't really know what was going on at the time. Plus with the, you know, the new feelings of the, I guess, the mild depression that I was going through. And I just think most of it really comes from just not knowing how to correctly express yourself. And I believe uh, one gentleman on, uh, on air said that, you know, like the therapy, like if he knew, if he knew about the therapy, it may have, it may have helped. And one thing that I realized is that after I left the hospital, you know, they gave me all these pills, all these medications, and I was, you know, I think I took it the first day, the first night I came home, I took it. And then I had to really think to myself, like, it's not the medication that's going to help me. You know, like, if anything, the medication is almost like a cop-out because I'm putting myself in the same position that I was in before. It's, it's, it's like, okay, I'm just going to suppress it. I'm going to suppress how I'm feeling. I'm going to suppress how I'm feeling. But then, like, when I got the courage to really start expressing myself, like, all right, y'all, I'm not really feeling it today or nah, I ain't, I ain't rocking or nah, I don't like the way that's making me feel. I'm not about to just do it. You know, I feel like that became my therapy. Not, you know, I, I just feel like everybody's so quick to, we're going we gonna to get the medicine, we're going to get the pills, but like that don't really help. Like as a man, men, we have to learn how to express ourselves and to communicate with another man and getting him to a level of just being comfortable to, show how he's really feeling or what, what's really going on in his brain. Because, you know, we, like you said, like hip-hop, you know, we, we have a certain image and a certain thing that we have to uphold or a certain image that we that we try to take for whatever reason, you know. And, and caller, I, I, I definitely appreciate your call, and thank you so much for calling in. There's a couple points that I'd like to make from, from the caller's call, and... I, I think he's on the right path because we're having this discussion. We're having this dialogue, but we want to be yeah. responsible in what we say. Psychotropic medication may not be for everyone. Okay. And that's, and that's what I was commenting on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but go ahead. You make the point then, Philip. Go ahead. Okay. No, and, and listen, man, I get it. I, I understand it because it's just like I, I see how quick they're you know, uh, especially mental health professionals, you know, me being a child of family therapist, uh, working with kids ranging from five to 18. Listen, I see how quick, you know, uh, especially, you know, they're all Caucasian, you know, these Caucasian uh, psychiatrists or, you know, or a different nationality are quick to give our black boys medication. Um, and I, you, you know, I usually and say, you know, definitely let's, let's hold off, you know, because, you know, there is misdiagnosis, you know, over pathologizing and what have you that occurs. I can, I can speak for me. Listen, I don't, I don't advocate on one way or another about, about medication. I knew for me, that's what, that's what I ultimately ended up needing. And so I, it's funny how I, I got it. So my first, you know, my first therapist, you know, she recommended that I get it just back when I was like 23 and I had the same idea where, no, I don't want to take it. So, you know, the doctor prescribed it. I took it for like two days. I was like, no, I'm good on it. 
And so, again, everything persisted. So now me being 31, uh, you know, I like to lift weights. That's one of the things that, that I use um, to help with my wellness. And so I had hurt my shoulder, and so I went to see my primary. And, you know, so it was, a, it was, it was due for my, my yearly physical anyway. And so he went through the questions. He was like, are you depressed? And me knowing about depression and anxiety at this point, I was like, yes. So, uh, you know, he was like, would you like to try medication? I'm like, sure. So he prescribed me some medication. Now, I had to fi- ultimately find the medication that worked for me. But, again, me going through this period of time from 17 up until 31, experiencing suicidal ideations every day and perseverating on thoughts, consistently thinking about the same thing over and over again, it was debilitating towards me. And it wasn't for a lack of trying on my part to say, oh, you know what, come on, stop thinking about it, stop thinking about it. Uh, it just didn't work. And so what happened was, again, once I started taking the, taking the medication, that helped me. That helped improve my mood. That stopped the suicidal thoughts. Now, and that's not to say that, okay, I still don't do the work by going to therapy and, and, and really learning and digging deep so I can, you know, uh, learn how to cope better and I can deal with the historical issues related to trauma that I've experienced. But uh, that was my hammer. You know, I usually make the connection to uh, like a construction worker. You know, he's, he's not going to just go there with a, with a saw, right? He's not going to just go to a job with a saw. He, may, he needs different tools to help him be the best construction worker that he has. So I had, listen, I have no problem telling people that I take medication every day. And so this, this guy, um, Aaron Yu, shout out to the black therapist, he played a post today. If you can't make your own neurotransmitters, store-bought is fine, right? <laughs> and so for some reason, I couldn't make my own. I couldn't make my own. My serotonin levels were, were low. And so what the medication did, it, it helped me. And so, again, to each his own. But, you know, I just don't want it to be, um, I don't want to make anybody to feel like uh, they're, they're doing something wrong by taking medication. Or right. Quote, unquote, weak by taking medication. Nah, you know, for our physical health, we'll take diabetic medication, high blood pressure medication. No different than mental health medication. There is no one size fits all. Rashawn, did you have an opinion on this? Uh, I definitely agree with Phil, man. Uh, that that was one thing that stood out to me as well. Uh, like you said, we have to be very conscious of and responsible of, of what we're saying and how we're saying to people. Because some people may take that as, "Oh, I don't need meds um, because he's doing better. All I need to do is just talk about it." Uh, I know for me with the, with the bipolar disorder, it's, it's, it's a chemical imbalance within my body. Um, and I needed those medications to help me um, get back even, get back on a level playing field. And, I mean, very similar to feel, man. I, I use working out to uh, help with that. And then also I, I journal, I color. So I find those other things as well that work outside of just going to therapy and also outside of just going to um, or taking my medications, and then uh, it's a it's a it's a everyday process, and it's always working towards getting better, and then I'm not getting back to that point where I was hospitalized. Right. I, I would love to hear from you all as it relates to the weekly chat or the check-in that you have. But first, I wanted to ask you all, what words of support do you have for a man who may be listening? who thinks he might be struggling. He, he's not really sure, but it, he's, he's, he's probably been struggling for a while in silence. What, what, what nuggets of wisdom do you have for that gentleman? You want to go first, Rashawn? Uh, sure. I mean, well, for one thing, if, if 
if he's been struggling, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. I feel like everybody needs to go to therapy, at least try it out once, whether you're struggling with something or where you, whether you're not. Um, we all can benefit from talking to somebody objective and share, just to get that, that, that load off of our chest, whether it's, um, it's a relationship issue, whether it's finances or anything. It, it, I think therapy is something that everyone should at least try once, once or twice. Um, just to, to see, to see those methods and see what goes on. Um, but then for an individual, if, if, if a man out there is struggling right now, I would, I would say reach out. Um, sometimes reaching out to your friends may not be the best thing because they don't know, they don't have those, those tools to help you. Or it's like the blind leading the blind. So you may need to reach mm-hmm. out to professional help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Philip? Yeah, um, I would say definitely what, um, you know, what Rashawn said, um, it's okay. You know, I, I think, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I've, that I've gotten from, from me going around and speaking in different places, you know, different age groups and, you know, nationalities, ethnicities, or what have you. Me, me, you know, people look at me as giving them permission to, to feel, you know, like it's okay to, to, to be down. It's listen, I, you know, it's okay to be depressed, right? It's not the end all be all, you know, there's options out there for you to get help. They exist. You're not the only one. You're not going to be the last one. It's existed since the beginning of time. Unfortunately, it's, it's taken this long. You know, I want to, I want to send them, uh, definitely uh, praises of encouragement. Like, to get to where you are today, to even to be listening to this. Like, you did what you had to do to survive to get to this day. Like, we shouldn't overlook that, any of us, because it's not easy. You know, it's not easy to get to the the day and the moment where we're at today. We all had to deal with the ebbs and flows of life. And so, like Rasan said, you know, now the next step is, okay, now what can I do? Should I go to my local mental health um, community center? Should I talk to my primary doctor? Should I talk to, should I inbox the ball Phil or the ball Rashawn? Like, yo, all right, I need some help. You know, can you give me some resources or something like that? You know, now is the time to take it up that to that next level. You know, I'm big on language and I don't begrudge anybody for using terms like struggle. Right. But, you know, I, I try not to look at it like that. Like I don't look at me struggling with the suicidal, suicidal ideations. I was just living with them at the time. And so now my goal is to go from living to thriving. I want to thrive now. And so, you know, I, I think if whoever the individual is that may be listening that, you know, again, it's okay. It's all right. Listen, you made it here. And so now the next steps is what can I do to get better? And again, that means, you know, using the resources that are at your disposal. It's not going to be easy. You won't get frustrated. You won't get mad. You won't have moments where you just want to literally end it all. But it's worth it. It's something on the other side of that. Absolutely. And if you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a call at 410-481-1010, 410-481-1010. And moments ago, gentlemen, I alluded to the fact that both of you all hold a weekly men's chat or check-in, if you will. Can you all tell us about that, starting with you, Phil? Okay, good. Because I was going to ask you, can I go first anyway? <laughs> so so I could pay proper homage. Um so it was probably June of May or June of 20, what's this, 2018. So 2017. Uh, somehow I stumbled upon Rashawn on, on social media. 
Uh, that shows you how powerful social media is, that it is good associated with it. And so we started following each other, and I always see him post up about his locker room talk. And I'm like, what is this? Right, so I called one time. I was nervous, so I hung up, and then I ended up calling back. And so it was him, and it was just like two of his other friends on there, and they were checking in on one another. And, you know, I, you know so I started talking. I felt comfortable. They made me feel comfortable. And so, you know, I hung up the phone at, the, at 9 o'clock. I called my homegirls, right, because, you know, again, as men, we can't really, for some reason, we can't talk to our homies about it. I made this point. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, it's rare that you ever hear a man say bye, right? We always got to make up a reason why we got to get off the phone. Because <laughs> it, might seem, it doesn't seem as masculine to say, all right, all right, Brandon, bye. You know what I mean? We got to do it, though. I'm going to hit you up or something. I got something to do. Right. I ain't got nothing to do. Right. And so I called my homegirl, and I'm like, yo, you know, I was just on this line. You know, with these other brothers, and we were just checking in on one another, and it was, you know, it felt good. I was able to release. I was able to say what went well during the week, what didn't go well during the week. And so, you know, I called in, you know, you know sporadically over the past few months after that. And so it was just like, you know what, There's, you know, I have a following. I have people that, that look to me for certain things. And so it was just like, you know what, the, the, the good brother, he started something great on Wednesdays that, that def- I definitely benefited from. And so let me do something, you know, that's earlier in the week where people getting off the weekend and, you know, things might not have been great or just to find out just a, a safe space for us to, to, to have dialogue. As I always say, man, women out here thriving. It's like you can't go to brunch without seeing six and seven women all together, like eating up all the, all the bacon. You know, but they out here thriving, empowering one another. So thanks to, you know, thanks to Rashad, uh, who, who had the amazing idea to start that. Uh, you know, I just follow suit. So I, I definitely appreciate you. Love you for that, good brother. And, oh, and man, appreciate it too. And, and yours, Philip, is called You Good Man. Is that is that the proper term for it? It is. It is. It's, it's hashtag You Good Man. Just based off of, like, when when the rapper Kid Cudi had went in uh, to, I guess, for dual diagnosis reasons, you know, the hashtag started trending and brothers checking in on brothers and then it died down. So it was just, you know, natural for me to utilize that. Oh, that was that's that's tight, Rashawn. On the other side of this phone call, we'd like to hear about the locker room. But let's go ahead and take this call. Okay. All right, caller, you're on the air. Hi, it's Turner Cooper. Um, I was calling because I'm a supporter of both uh, Phil and Rashawn's work. Okay. Um, and a uh, living testimony to um, the locker room talk. Um, and, and what it does. I stumbled upon it very similar to what Phil talked about, the power of social media. Um, I stumbled upon it on Instagram and stopped what I was doing from that hour, that, that hour from 7 to 8 in Central Standard Time. But it's been a consistent thing for over a year now that I make sure my Wednesdays um, I'm calling in and using that time to just healthy decompress, uh, but also kind of set goals for the following week. Um, so it's just is something that I know I've benefited from. So it's something that's beautiful. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for your support. Did you have anything else, Mr. Cooper? No, I just, I mean, you have two great gentlemen on the line that are, that are uh, doing appreciate amazing it, work that are um, creating spaces for black men to not only heal, but to be able to love, to be emotive, to, to really let down that mask. And so it's just great to be able to share like be a living testimony and affirm outwardly the work that they're doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mr. Cooper. 
No problem, brother. Appreciate you, Turner. Yeah, I definitely win. appreciate you. And, uh, Rashawn, I actually have called into the, lo- into the locker room one time, and I stayed for the full for the full hour. I've not been back, but uh, my experience with it, it was, it, was a, it was actually a good experience. Tell us a little bit about the locker room and, and how it was birthed. Uh, well, locker room talk started in um, twenty, no, I'm sorry, 2016, and it really was based off of it was a play on the uh, presidential elect at the time. You know, they, they had that that thing where he was saying, "Oh, it's just locker room talk." When they when he did that derogatory, you know, whatever he said, you know, up, um, towards women. And um, it really was just a wanted to create a space so that men could get on the line, chop it up about whatever whatever it is we had going on that week, uh, whether it, and then how it pertains, and then bring it back to figure out how how does it pertain to our mental health. Um, and then the reason why I wanted to do a, a conference call is just because a lot of times being able to I wouldn't well not being able, not having to look someone face to face you'll be able to open up a little bit more easy. And so it, it gives people a space. To, we, we talk about any and everything, man. Uh, it's been going on now, like I said, since 2016. And uh, every Wednesday night, it's, it's always good to build that sense of community. But then also you understand that you're not in it alone. And, and I mean, some people that call in, they call in on a regular, and I've never met them in person. Uh, but I can definitely call them a brother, and they they know if they need me for anything, they can they can reach out whether it's through text or giving me a call, even um, throughout the week. And so the the format of it really is we we start off the start off the call where everybody do we call it round robin. Everybody gives us something good that went on that week, and then uh, then we we transition into an issue or any anything that anybody want to bring up. Whereas we want to dissect as a group of men. And then we end the call with, well, you got to, not only are we going to sit here and um, talk about an issue, but we want to figure out how can we grow together. And so we, we create goals for the rest of the week so that we can hold each other accountable. And then we, we follow back up on them the following week. And it's all about growth and all about, you know, having that space. Wow. Absolutely. I And, and again, I can attest to that because I've participated in it. Now, listeners, we're going to give out a whole bunch of information right around 5.52. We'll get the information related to the locker room. You'll also be able to connect with, learn how to connect with Philip and Rashawn. Uh, we'll continue the conversation up until then. But right around 5.52, 5.53, give or take, we'll give out a bunch of information. So get your pens, your paper, your little pad inside your phone ready because we'll we'll give all of that out at, at that time. Both of you gentlemen have started organizations. Can you all tell us a little bit about that? Philip, you have Quadify LLC and Rashawn, you have Ustrin Inc. Can you all tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I, I can tell you about Quadify. So, so Quadify was it was a name that I that I stole from from a friend of mine, Raina. <laughs> um, you know, but but she she saw what I was doing. You the most like, honest thief I know, Philip. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so accident residuals, you know what I mean? Uh, right. I don't know about that. But, um, you know, it was in the way she described it, it just, it fit. And once I started getting into just in this realm of mental health advocacy, she was like, Phil, go ahead, take the name. 
you know, she just hit me up one day because what it, what it stands for is the four pillars of wellness that I feel are the pillars of wellness. So we're talking about physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual wellness. And so and the, the defy part is, listen, define the stereotypes, define what the norms are related to your wellness um, in order to go from living to thriving. So what that consists of is I do a lot of, of I hate the term motivational speaker, man, because I think motivation is fleeting, right? So I look at myself like a seed planner, you know, with the with regards to, to mental health. I go different places, whether colleges, universities, high schools, elementary schools, conferences, anywhere that I can discuss mental health, where I can tell my story and, you know, and help people just just spark that that mind. You know, I was just at a I was just at a fifth grade career day and I was first I was impressed because, you know, I asked the question, like, what's depression or and I had people that raised their hand. Uh, but I wish I had that at fifth grade, eighth grade and 12th grade when I was going through things because I let them know, listen, this might be the last time you hear about this ever. And so, you know, I, I just take pride in planting those seeds. So a part of that is also merch, uh, merchandise. And so you like I have a wedding to go to this weekend on Saturday. I haven't worn a shirt that didn't say this is what depression looks like or black healing matters or this is what anxiety looks like since about November. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to wear this to the wedding and not get kicked <laughs> out. But, you know, I think the message, again, it's all about conversations. So anywhere and I'm, I'm, I'm ready and I'm able to have that conversation. And so just real brief, Quantify started uh, officially in, in September of 2016, uh, 2000 and, yeah, 2016, because what happened earlier that year, uh, a young man by the name of Emmanuel Sloan, uh, who was, uh, he went to a high school called Boys Latin. He had graduated from there and he had jumped in front of a train. And I saw the story in the news and at his memorial, you know, I saw what was happening. And so it was just like, I have to get out there. I have to get out there and tell my story. Uh, coincid- you know, coincidentally, I knew you said I had a master's in exercise science, which I do. I was leaving the field of social work. I wasn't doing therapy, hospital, social work anymore. I was through. I was burnt out. My goal was, listen, I'm going to get to the NFL. Yeah, I never played football, but I'm going to get there as a strength and conditioning coach, a trainer. So I went and got my degree. And so I was supposed to start working at Villanova University. This was after they beat uh, – what school they beat, Rashawn, back in 20, uh, 2016? Don't, don't start. Don't start. Don't start. <laughs> They, they beat North Carolina. And, and so I was just like, listen, I'm about to go and start working as a strength and conditioning coach for Villanova. And so the day before I was supposed to start, I had that voice that tell me, so you can't do this. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. And so I, I sent them my letter of resignation, my email of resignation. I never opened a reply email from them. And then Quadify just continued from there. So that's okay. the long story of it. Okay. Well, well we appreciate that. Rashawn, tell us a little bit about Ustrin Inc. Uh, well, it's uh, Ustrin Inc. So Ustrin is a nonprofit to raise mental health awareness, especially in the black and brown communities. Um, we do that through a lot of different events where it comes down to, I do mental health awareness walks. Um, I actually just hosted the inaugural mental health awareness gala here in Charlotte. Um, we do it, um, the walks in three different cities across North Carolina, but we're going to expand very, very soon into other states. Um, also host uh, mental health for the state training um, and do just a lot of things in the community, man. And um, we recently launched our campaign for Pathway to Eustress, where uh, we're 
the goal is to get 100,000 copies of my book, um, Injury Reserve, A Black Man's Playbook to Manage Being, to manage being Sidelined by Mental Illness. We want to get 100,000 copies of that into 100,000 inmates' hands because we uh, understand that a lot of our black men are being locked up in prisons, but a lot of them also deal with mental health challenges as well. So that we actually released that campaign uh, last month. And then also working on the, uh, developing um, a mental health triage clinic here in Charlotte. That's going to be the first location. Mm. Those are going to be spreading around um, the United States. Um, but the very first uh, clinic will be here in Charlotte. and It will be opening up here um, at the end of the summer. So um, that's the, the short version of all of the stuff that, that I have going on with that. I'll tell you what, time gets away from us. It, it really does. I, I was going to ask you about Injured Reserve because I know that's the book that you, you have written. I was going to ask you about that when we start giving out information. So if you can kind of sort of be prepared to to, to answer that, I'll, I'll, I will ask you that. Um, and, and, I just, and I just wanted to say before we got into giving out um, information. I, I just wanted to say that one of the things that I've, I've found, you know, as a mental health professional is that across all cultures, across all races, people are hurting, people are going through. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, you will hear we, we, the three of us are black men. So obviously during a conversation, our community is referenced because we can speak from the perspective of, of as an African-American. But I, I just want to say that on the couch radio is for all races, all cultures. We absolutely know that mental health impacts everyone. And just because we're having a conversation germane to African-American men and my guests are African-American, I'll guarantee you there's some, some parallels across all races and cultures. So let's start with you, Philip. Let's tell folks how they can connect with you and all of the good stuff that you want to give out. Okay, um, so you can connect with me. The best way to connect with me is on Instagram. That's P-H-I-L underscore quadify. Q is in Quincy, U-A, D is in dog, E-F-Y. Um, there you can find information for the, the weekly men's check-in. One's happening tonight. I'm actually sitting outside the gym right now. So one's happening tonight at 9 o'clock. Uh, you can also go to my website, www.quadifyllc.net. You can find out what's happening with me. It also has links to my podcast, uh, hashtag you good man, which is on SoundCloud, uh, Google Play Music, and iTunes. Also links to, to YouTube videos and a way to just reach out to me if, if need be. Okay, so the call is on Monday nights. It's normally at 8, but tonight it's at 9 Eastern Standard Time, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, and that information can be found on your Instagram page. On my Instagram, yes, Phil underscore quantify. Okay, Rashawn. Uh, quick, man. I mean, if, to be honest, anybody can find me anywhere if you know how to spell my name. R W E N S H A U N. That's R W E N S H A U N. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Rashawn.com that has a list of all of the things where it comes down to the locker room talks on Wednesdays. Also how to uh, get to purchase my book and the reserve. Um, what else? What else? Also has a link to uh, Eustress um, website as well. So you can keep up to date with what's going on there and uh, the pathways of Eustress campaign as well. Spell Eustress for us, please. E U S T R 
E-S-S-I-N-C.org. And give us probably the quickest snapshot you've ever given related to Injured Reserve, your book, Injured Reserve. Injured Reserve really uh, goes into detail of, uh, about my um, becoming diagnosed, uh, the initial things that I was going through, uh, what I went through after I left the hospital, um, going through the, the, the mind state of having to take meds, having to go to therapy, um, and also my suicide attempts as well. But it also challenges the reader to address the issues within themselves. So it's, it's not just a me sharing my story. It's also meant to help the individual that's reading. And it's not just for black men. I know that the title has a black man's playbook, but it's for anybody to read it. So like you said, uh, mental health touches us all. Absolutely. And in 30 seconds, Philip, and I'd like you to answer this too, Rashad, what do men need from women as it relates to our mental health? How can women support us? In <laughs> 30 seconds. In 30 huh? seconds, bro. I'm putting you on the seconds. spot. Just, just, just understanding, just understanding, uh, just openness that, you know, we're all uh, works in progress. And if we can just see each other as, as just human beings and fallible individuals, and, and again, just that support um, and, and offering resources and, and various things if you do have it. But again, support means everything. Absolutely. Rashawn, what are your thoughts on that? Patience. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is something that we're not, we're not used to. And you think about me and Phil, we're, we're 31 years old. You, you, you have 31 years of, of undoing when it comes down to figuring out how to address these issues. So it's going to really take um, patience. Okay. And my two cents on it, what we need from women, how women can support us to make sure that as we do the work as men and you all encourage us to do the work as men, you're doing the necessary work to make sure that you're coming to the table whole and, and even. Mm-hmm. Okay. Listen, man, preach. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, so I want to give out, I want to give out the national suicide hotline number, which is 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. Or you can text the crisis hotline at 741-741 and a trained person will respond, re- respond back. Philip Roundtree. Rashad Miller, thank you all so much for joining us as we navigated the terrain related to men and mental health taking off the mass. We appreciate you all. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you. Appreciate you. for listening to On The Couch Radio. And as always, you can join us every Monday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on WOLB 1010 AM. You can also find us on the TuneIn app or Facebook and Instagram as On The Couch Radio and on Twitter as OTC Radio 1. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at onthecouchradio at gmail.com. Following is a paid 